right. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I think that on Sunday morning, the best place you can be is in the house of God, worshiping together, uh, studying the word together. You guys agree with that? Best place. So I think you made the right decision this morning. So glad you're here. My name is uh, Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. And if you have your Bible, you can grab it, head over to the much-read, much-loved book of Philemon. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, camping out today in the book of Philemon. If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring yours, you can grab your phone or your tablet, head over to the Version Bible app, click on events, and you'll find us there and you can get all of the scriptures and all the notes today. You can also follow along in your bulletin and take notes that way. We are in a series called Small Fry. Uh, where we are looking at the, the smallest, most overlooked books of the New Testament uh, and kind of going through those verse by verse because we believe that all of the Bible is the Bible and it's fun to study books that we are maybe not as familiar with. And so it's been a great series so far. And uh, we're looking at Jude, uh, Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John, those four books. And so we started with five weeks on Jude and I were... Uh, Superhero t-shirts, Jude was mean to us. It was a great time. It was a great time. And so uh, if you missed that, you should get those online. Last week we talked uh, about Philemon. We started uh, in Philemon. Uh, today we'll finish Philemon. And then we'll spend four weeks in Second and Third John, uh, the next four weeks. Then after that, I want to kind of let you in on where we're going next. We're, I'm excited about the next series that we're doing. It's kind of a mini-series, uh, three weeks. And we're just calling it Church Is. And we'll throw that graphic up on the screen for us. And basically, uh, we want to talk about for three weeks what the church is. What is it? It's more than just somewhere you go on Sunday mornings. It's more than just a hobby or something you do to make yourself uh, feel better about yourself. It's more than just morals or anything like that. Church is, is more than that. Church is family. Church is mission church is life. And so we're going to talk about those things, and it's going to get us ramped up or get, move us into our, our life groups launch. And so uh, small groups at Great Oaks are now going to be known as life groups just because uh, they, we, we believe that that's where life happens. That's where we do life together is in those smaller groups. And someone once said, life is done or church is really done, not in rows, but in circles, right? You've heard Pastor Bill probably say that. And so um, we get around in circles of, of six to 12 or how those that around that amount of people and we do life together we love each other we help each other we study the word together and so this series church is is going to feed into our life group launch on September 10th but we're going to start signups for life group on uh, August 27th lots of dates for you to remember here's one that I definitely want you to remember August 20th baptism and starting this series church is so I would love for you to commit to try to be here as best you can try to be here those three Sundays uh, of that series it's going to be a great great series I'm excited about it so don't miss it but today we're in Philemon and it's all about uh, forgiveness and confrontation. That's what the book of Philemon is about. The Apostle Paul is writing to Philemon to get him to forgive and reconcile with whom? Onesimus, Onesimus right. And so everybody say Onesimus. And so this is a book about Onesimus and Philemon reconciling, right? And I said last week's great name for a son if you're having a kid, all right? Great name. Uh, you, should, you should consider it, all right? It means, it means useful. And so my son, never mind, I'm not going to go there, all right? Um, but so 
probably what has happened is Onesimus has wronged Philemon. He's done something to wrong, to, against him. He's stolen money. He's abandoned him. He left. Uh, and so Philemon is mad at Onesimus. He doesn't like him. But when he left, after he left, Onesimus uh, was transformed by the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Rome. And so Onesimus has this life transformation happen. And then he starts to realize, I got to go back to Philemon. I got to make things right with my former master. And so at this time, the Apostle Paul is writing letters to churches all over the ancient world. And he is... Uh, just writing these letters like crazy and Onesimus says I got to go back to Philemon and do this and so the Apostle Paul writes just a quick note to help him kind of grease the wheels with Philemon to make things right with him and so because of that because the Apostle Paul does that you and I end up with this awesome kind of example of what confrontation and reconciliation should look like uh, from the Apostle Paul himself and and so we, we talked about last week just forgiveness in general. We talked about how uh, forgiveness is not a, not a choice you make, but it's a choice you already made in Christ if you are a Christ follower. And so uh, we also talked about how it doesn't matter what's been done to you, right? It doesn't matter the offense against you. It only matters what's been done for you in Jesus. And, and we talked about how if you do not forgive, that, that this root of bitterness will be planted into your heart, Hebrews says, and it will defile many. So your, your relationships with your family, the people you love the most, your friends, uh, will be destroyed by this bitterness as it grows and grows and grows. And so we talked about letting that go and, and forgiving. Uh, last week was a, a message that was for every single person. And so uh, if you did miss it, make sure you get it online or on iTunes. Today, let's look at the way the Apostle Paul kind of goes about this thing. I want this to kind of be us looking at the nuts and bolts of how the Apostle Paul does this in the book of Philemon. And so um, kind of a case study uh, in confrontation and uh, reconciliation. Because these things, to, to confront, to reconcile, to forgive, them, it's not easy, right? It's, it's out of control difficult. It is difficult, and, and yet it's necessary. Confrontation and all of this is, is necessary. About a year after I started following Christ, I, I kind of felt tricked because they had kind of sold it as just come walk an aisle, get, you know, shake my hand, say a prayer, get dunked, and you'll be good to go, right? Uh, just do that. Just come up. It'll be fine. Like, you need to give it all to Jesus, and Jesus will heal you, take care of you, make you new. It'll all be different. And so I was like, all right, I can do that. And so I came down, and I, I said the prayer, and I got dunked, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to be totally different. And then some things started happening in me. As I tried to follow Jesus, some sin started to be revealed in my heart, and there, there were these things that, that kind of threatened to derail my life that just came to the surface as soon as I committed my life uh, to Jesus. It wasn't like once I walked an aisle and got dunked that I didn't struggle anymore. It wasn't like that, and it became difficult. It wasn't like, like it was all over. And, and there were two things that I, I constantly needed when I first gave my life to Christ, and I still need today. Two things that I constantly needed and I still need today. I needed encouragement, and I needed rebuking constantly. 
encouragement and rebuking because there were days that I was overwhelmed with my own junk and I felt like it was moving impossibly slow and I felt like I was confused. I didn't know why this was happening and I'm a results guy. I like results and I want it to happen now. I want to be done with it. And so I was just struggling. I couldn't figure this out. And I, and I needed people who, who knew me, who were able to encourage me. I needed people who knew me well enough to see that I was struggling, even though I wasn't able to admit it, even though I wasn't man enough to come and admit it and, and get through my pride and, and talk to somebody about it. I needed somebody to see that in me because they knew me well enough and they would come up and they would encourage me. I needed them to encourage me. I also needed men and women who knew me well enough, who I trusted well enough to receive, to say, come over here, man. Just come here a second. You're jacking this up. You know this is not the way the Bible says to do this. You know this is sin. You know you need to repent. You know that. Let me help you do that. You need to get right with God. I needed people to rebuke me. Because none of us is strong enough to follow through on any of this Jesus stuff without the help of someone else, right? We're just not. Relationships are hard, though, and you, you can't trust me, and I can't trust you, and, and yet we need each other. It's messy, right? We all need people who will step into that mess and help us. Confront, rebuke, reconcile. So, so I want to treat this as kind of a case study in reconciliation. I want you to see the background of this. I want to talk about the Apostle Paul's strategy as he tries to help Philemon and Onesimus reconcile. And my thought in this is that, that maybe we can avoid some pitfalls. Maybe by studying it in this way, we can avoid some mistakes. Um, maybe we can do things better. Maybe we can, when we go to reconcile or confront or forgive, maybe we will uh, see more success than not. So let's do this first, though. Let's, um, let's just read the whole book of Philemon. How many times do you go to church and you read a whole book of the Bible? You should, you should post that on Facebook today. So Philemon, it's 25 verses. Can you guys hang with me for 25 verses? You think you can? All right. 460 words. Who's going to count them? Type A? Yeah, all right. You can count them. It says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. That's, you wouldn't know this unless you did some research, but Onesimus, the, the name Onesimus means useful. And so when 
The Apostle Paul in this parenthesis is saying he used to be useless, but now he's useful. It's a pun, okay? The Apostle Paul is kind of making a joke here uh, with, with his name, with Onesimus' name. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's it. 25 verses, 460 words. But it's this great example of how this thing works best. And so four things I want to talk to you out of Philemon today. Uh, four things that I think matter, that we see in the Apostle Paul's strategy of confrontation, reconciliation, forgiveness, all of that. We see these four things matter in the book of Philemon. And so first, when you confront and reconcile, motive matters. Motive matters. The Apostle Paul is the man at this time. I mean, he's the top dog. Like, he's the boss. He is awesome. Everybody looks up to him. He's famous. God has gifted him in these ridiculous ways at this time. Greatest missionary to ever live. Crazy miracles happening in the Apostle Paul's ministry. I mean, they would take aprons and handkerchiefs that he had used, and they would throw them on sick people, and they would be healed. That's how crazy this is going on right now. I mean, just think about that a second. The Apostle Paul blows his nose, throws the hanky on the ground. Somebody picks it up, tosses it on a, a sick person. The sick person is healed. The lame person walks. It's where we got the idea of holy snot from. <laughs> just, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. I think that's probably where we got it, right? He's the man. The Apostle Paul is the man, a, a theological and organizational genius, writer of 75% of the New Testament. He has clout. He has weight. His word matters. He could have thrown that around here in the book of Philemon or the letter that he writes to Philemon more than he did. His motive could have been to set Philemon straight. He, he loved Onesimus. He could have said, listen, I'm the boss. I'm the guy in charge. I'm a big deal. Do what I say. But that's not the best way, and it's not the Jesus way, right? His motive in writing this letter wasn't to flex his muscles, wasn't to show Philemon who's in charge, wasn't to assert his dominance, wasn't to show off. He says in verse 8, I could command you, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. 
I prefer to appeal to you. Paul's motive is, is love, isn't it? It's for love's sake that he's appealing to Philemon. So the question is, when you go to confront and reconcile, what's your motive? What's your motive? Motive matters. Are you doing it because someone else pressured you? Are you doing it because uh, out, of, out of some kind of law-based idea? Are you doing it begrudgingly? Are you, what's your motive? Are you calling them to reconcile? Or are you calling them to put them in their place? Is your motive to, to, to put them down so that you'll feel better about yourself? Are you that insecure? Or are you stepping into the middle of someone else's issue just because you're nosy? Just because you're looking for some more gossip to spread. There are a lot of motives, right? Pride, arrogance, some kind of positioning maybe. What's yours? If you're in this thing to get an apology, to make yourself look good, to make them eat crow, to save the day, to be the hero, or just for entertainment, if your motive is anything but love, you need to hit pause. You need to hit pause and you, you need to pray. You need to ask God to transform your sinful heart. Motive matters. Motive matters. And listen, here's the thing about motive. I don't know yours. Right? I think I do. Pretty sure. You kind of wear it on your face. But I don't really know your motive. Only you know your motive. Motive is a matter of the heart. Only you know your motive. Right? I don't know your motive. It's a heart issue, and I can't see your heart. But look at this verse from Jeremiah. God says, I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Chances are you got some secret motives. But even though I can't see those clearly, God can. God can. You go, well, does it really matter why I do it if I do it? I mean, if I just do it, doesn't that, isn't that what matters? Does it really matter why I do this as long as I do it? Yes, the answer is yes. It does. Motives matter. Your heart matters to God. And sometimes, sometimes you know your motives are wrong, right? It might take some time. It might take some, some admitting and some confessing. You might have to get through your pride. You, you might act humble and it's just false humility. You know your motives are jacked up. You just don't want to admit it. But then finally you come around and you do admit it. Sometimes you know your motives are wrong. But other times, this is scarier I think, other times you're convinced your motives are right, pure, good, when they're not. You've lied to yourself long enough that you're starting to believe yourself, right? You're starting to believe that your motives are actually pure and they're not. You think your heart is good, but it's not. You've convinced yourself, deceived yourself. Because Proverbs 16.2 says people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. You might be pure in your own eyes, but the Lord examines your motives. So if you can... Think you're pure, but your motives are actually wrong. Our only hope, your only hope in having the right motive is to stop and ask, right? If you can think that your motives are pure and right, but you can be wrong, then your only hope in this process of reconciliation, in this process of checking your motives before you go to confront, before you go to ask for forgiveness or whatever it is, your only hope in this has got to be that you just have to hit pause 
And you have to ask. You have to go, what are my motives? Or better yet, Holy Spirit, reveal my motives to me. I need your help, even though, even though I think I'm good. I need your help, God. I need, to know, I need your help knowing where my heart is, my own heart is. I'm not even smart enough to know where my own desires and motives are. God, help me with that. If my motives are not pure, help me see that and correct it. If you start out in humility like that, admitting that your heart is sinful and selfish by default, and you need God's help to even know where you're at to begin with, then I think you've got a good chance at succeeding in confrontation, at succeeding in reconciliation. Whether it's trying to help two people reconcile or you're trying to reconcile with somebody. So the first thing is your motive. Your motive matters. The second thing, when you confront... And reconcile, relationship matters. Motive matters and relationship matters. When you step into the mess to help two people get right with one another, or you go to confront somebody, rebuke somebody, or even encourage somebody, relationship matters. In other words, it's probably not a good idea to do this with strangers. I'm just throwing that out there. It's probably not a good idea to try to do this with strangers. I mean, if you haven't put in the time, it's not going to go well for you. I heard a guy talk about this one time, and he, he said that everyone always responds. I don't care how godly you are. Everybody always initially responds to rebuke and confrontation in one of two ways. Either we hear the rebuke and we're like, you're right, I'm horrible, I'm not good at life. I quit. Right? We hear the rebuke and we're like, all right, you're right, I'm out. I'm not trying. I'm done. We kind of go the self-hate, the self-doubt, the you're right, I'm out. We just get out. We do that. That's one way we go. Or we respond the other way, which is the polar opposite. We get called out on something and then we go, oh, So, you're going to talk about my little speck in my eye. I'm surprised you can see the speck in my eye with that big old log in your fat head. (laughs) Why don't we work on getting the log out of your gargantuan head? And then we'll look at my tiny, tiny, little, tiny speck that you can barely see. Right? We start to point out the sin in the person confronting us. We start to go, yeah, but you, yeah, but you can't talk about this because of this over here. We start to point out their sin as if somehow to discredit them would change the fact that we've just been called out on something that is absolutely true, right? It doesn't matter how sinful they are. What we were just called out on is true. It needs to be dealt with, right? This is the game we play. We get called out and we go, let me find their sin because if I have an enemy to fight, I don't have to worry about fighting the enemy in me. It's a game we play. It doesn't work. It destroys our relationships, but it's a game that we pray. We play. And we always hand it, handle it one of those two ways, but when When you have relationship, when you have love and logic to fall back on, then great things can happen. Like when you go to confront someone in love and they start to go either way, you can go, wait, hold up, hold up here. Have I not proven my love for you over the years? 
Have I not proven that I love him? I genuinely care about you. I've never tried to lord this stuff over you. I've never tried to, to, to show other people that you're messed up. I've never tried to shame you. I love you. I'm trying to help you. You helped me 10 years ago. Remember that? I'm trying to help you now. When we've got love and we've got logic to fall back on, great things can happen, but it happens in relationship. Relationship matters. This is hard enough as it is, much less without close relationship, without that history, right? The Apostle Paul knows Philemon well. He said he thinks of him often. They have history. He calls him brother. And he loves Onesimus too, right? He called him his child and his heart. Child, father, brother, sister, heart. This is, this is family language, isn't it? This is family language. This is the context the church is supposed to work in. We're supposed to be a community. We're supposed to be a family. But few of us have really found that in church. Few of us have stuck around long enough to see it happen. More often than not, we stay on the outskirts where nobody knows us or we get offended and, and leave or, or things get too real. We're too convicted, too challenged, and we don't like that. And so we start over at another church where they don't know us and we can fake being all right for a while. We desperately need community, you and I. Family, relationships where this stuff can happen on both sides of this things, on both sides of this thing, so that we can help others and so that we can be helped by others. If you live as a stranger with your church family, or you don't stick around long enough because you're unwilling to go deep, then this is going to be impossible. Living this out, being the church to one another is going to be impossible. So motive matters. Relationship matters. And then when you confront and reconcile, faith matters. Faith matters. What I mean by this one is that I'm just asking, do you believe that, that reconciliation, forgiveness, the healing of relationships that have been through the worst of things, do you believe that this is possible? Do you believe that reconciliation is actually possible? Do you believe that God can actually do this? Because the Apostle Paul, he believed that Philemon and Onesimus were going to work things out. He believed that God was going to help them accomplish this. He said in verse 21, I know you'll be able to do it. In verse 15, he goes, maybe God wants to, you to have Onesimus back, not as a bondservant or a slave, but as a brother in Christ. He's got this faith, the Apostle Paul does. So do you believe that God can do this? A lot of you have been through a ton of hurt and pain over the years. People have left you, betrayed you, hurt you intentionally. Relationships have broken and have not been repaired. Years have gone by in some situations. Some of you have estranged kids. They're mad, you're mad. You haven't talked to them in years. Some of you have brothers and sisters, same thing. You, you don't even remember what the fight was, right? You just know you hadn't talked to them since. And every time you do try to make things right, it just seems impossible, right? I mean, this is real. It's real stuff. Do you believe that God can do this? Do you believe that the, the power of the Holy Spirit is powerful enough 
to heal those relationships. If you're faced with this kind of thing, your motive might be good and you might have relationship with this person, but you may still doubt. You may still be struggling to believe that God can actually do this. Faith matters. I encourage you, just pray and believe God for the best. Believe that God's going to do this. Listen, beloved, there's no relationship too far gone for God to save. There's nothing you could have done to them or they could have done to you that would somehow disqualify you from God's desire for your reconciliation. There is no place that you can go that God cannot reach you. I know it seems impossible. I get that it looks that like things will never be different, but believe me, it's not true. It's a lie from the enemy with the right motives, in the context of real love for this person in Christ, and with faith in a God who restores, heals, puts things back together, does the impossible, it can happen. It can happen. Believe God enough just to step out and do something. If you're on the outside, then talk to one of these two people. Just get a conversation going. Just get the dialogue started about reconciliation. Maybe... Maybe use Philemon to show him God's way. If it's you that's been hurt, then confront and forgive in love. If it's you that's done the hurting, confess in humility. Maybe you take a page from the Apostle Paul's playbook and you write a letter. Maybe you pick up a phone and you call him even though you haven't talked to him in Years. Maybe you go over to their house and you just have this awkward conversation. You just do it. Sometimes it's just about taking a step in the right direction and letting the Holy Spirit work. Does that mean that it's always going to end up in rainbows and cotton candy? No. But that doesn't change the fact that it's on you as a Christ follower to live at peace as much as it concerns you to live at peace with everyone. It's on you to seek and initiate reconciliation, forgiveness, all of those things. It's on you. All right. I said there were four things I wanted you to notice about the way the Apostle Paul goes about this whole thing. Motive matters. Relationship matters. Faith matters. And then number four, when you go to reconcile or confront, spiritual authority matters. Spiritual authority matters. Look at what the Apostle Paul said to Philemon. He said, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. And then he said in 18, he goes, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Listen to this. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And then this in the next verse, confident of your what? That's a hard word to say, isn't it? I was just going to see if you guys could say it. Obedience. It's like, ugh. Obedience. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. We tend to rebel against this idea of, author- of an authority structure, right? 
I mean, we, we like the idea that we're all equal and no one's in charge of us, especially when it comes to church stuff. We, we love that. And, and it's true, we are all equal before God, right? There's no question about that. But the Bible does say that God places people in authority, that he's made uh, some prophets, some teachers, some pastors. It talks about elders and pastors being having charge over your soul like a shepherd has. It takes care of a flock, has to take care of his flock. And, and so there is absolutely, an authority structure laid out in the Bible. Jesus is the head of his body, the church, but he appoints these under shepherds to care for the flock and to lead with authority. And unlike the business world, these leaders are not appointed based on skill level. I know that to be true personally. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. (laughs) Skill level. Hello. Just kidding. They are not appointed um, based on skill level. They're appointed by God, and many times they're the least qualified, right? Um, The least equipped, the least capable. Think about Moses, King David, Gideon, all of 12 of the disciples. They were all ill-equipped for what God had called them to do. The Apostle Paul was, was a persecutor of the church. In other words, spiritual authority, it flows through appointed offices, not through gifting. Let me say that again. Spiritual authority, it flows through appointed offices, people who are appointed by God to be in authority. It does not flow through gifting. What I mean by that is that just because you're the best preacher doesn't mean you should be the lead pastor. Just because you sing the best doesn't mean that gives you authority over the worship team, right? Just because you're the best leader in the business world or not a good leader in the business world has no bearing on whether God has called you to have spiritual authority over others in the church. Are you tracking with me? Spiritual authority flows through appointed office, the Bible says, not through gifting. But the fact is, spiritual authority is a biblical thing that you've got to figure out how to get your mind around you got to wrestle with this if you need to wrestle with it. If it's difficult, you got to just study it a little bit. you got to figure this thing out. It's not something you can ignore or avoid because there will be a time in your life if you stay committed to the church, if you stay engaged with the, the community of faith, there will be a time in your life where spiritual authority comes into play. You can't avoid it. There will be a time where this comes into play. But within the idea of confrontation and seeking reconciliation, spiritual authority matters. If God has given you spiritual authority over others, this is part of the deal, man. You you are called to step into the mess and help people. You're called to step into this mess and help people. Part of your job is having these difficult conversations if you're in spiritual authority. That could be spiritual authority like a father is over a a, a kid. You need to step into the mess and and help this kid. It could be spiritual authority here in the church. It could be spiritual authority in another arena. But if you've been given spiritual authority over someone, then you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to step in and help. On the other side, if if uh, if you have a spiritual authority talking to you, somebody in spiritual authority over you who, who needs to have this conversation with you, then you need to take that into account, right? 
When somebody in spiritual authority comes to have a conversation with you about these kind of things, you need to take that into account. When Philemon reads this letter, he's got no choice. What the Apostle Paul is asking him to do, it lines up with what Jesus taught, and he's not really asking, right? He's not really asking. Philemon has no choice to go like, who is, who's this Paul guy think he is? That's... <laughs> <laughs> Rip. Like, that's not, that's not, he can't do that. He has no, no option there. No, when somebody in spiritual authority has a serious conversation with you or sends you a serious email, you should take it differently than if someone without spiritual authority sends you the same email or says the same thing. It's not, it's not, oh, thanks for the suggestion. Thanks for the suggestion, pastor, but I think I'll do my own thing. I think I'll choose to go my own way and, and not really listen to what God has told you about how we're going to do things at the church. I'm not really going to listen to that. Thanks for the suggestion. But I think I'm going to do my own thing. Why? Why do you look at this differently? Because that person who's in spiritual authority over you is awesome? No. Because they're better than you? No. It's because God put them in that position. Even though you can't trust them to be perfect, you can trust God to be perfect. So you submit to that authority. And listen, beloved, it's, it's a good thing. Spiritual authority is a good thing. You need it. Like I was talking with somebody out front during cross training a couple weeks ago, and I was just explaining this idea and talking through this idea that every two years or so, I look back on myself two years ago, and I go, that guy was an idiot, right? I'm like, what was I thinking? Every two years. And so I think, I'm thinking like one day I'm going to be like 50, and I'm going to look back on me at 48, and I'm going to go, that kid was brilliant, right? But it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. But let me be real honest with you. Right now, I feel pretty sharp. I feel like I'm engaged in the life of my kids. I feel like I care about my wife. I feel like I'm pursuing her romantically. I feel like God has set me up to do, I feel like I'm doing an okay job as a pastor at least, that I'm listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that I'm trying to do what God has called me to do. I feel like I'm doing okay. But I guarantee you in a year or two from now, I will look back on myself now at some aspect of my life or way of thinking and I'll go, what was wrong with me? So if that's true, and I think most of us would agree that 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 has been true in our lives, all of us have destroyed things we didn't mean to destroy, right? But when you look back, you go, oh, that was me. (laughs) My bad. I didn't know. I didn't know. But it was me. So that's true. How true is it that we need men and women in spiritual authority over our lives to be able to say, you're jacking this up. You are messing this up. Isn't it true that we need men and women to come alongside of us and go, hey, listen, you're not doing this the way the scriptures say you should do it. I've been there. I messed up there. Let me help you avoid this pitfall. I can see this from the outside. It's not good. You might be blind to it, but I'm not. Let me talk you through this. We need these people. But few of us walk in those kind of relationships, right? We kind of come to church over here and we got, we've got some Christian friends that we 
hang out with and do fellowship with, but we're not really submitting ourselves to any kind of godly authority. We want church, but we don't want that. We want good morals for our kids, but we don't want that. What you don't realize is that it's all tied into one. You want to pursue God? You want to, your kids to have, a, to have heart change? You want to follow Jesus? This is the way he set it up to work. This is the way he set it up. He's the head of the church and those he places in authority. The pastors, the other leaders are the under shepherds. That's the biblical authority structure. We didn't make it up. And listen, I know this is kind of weird. I know it's a little awkward for me to talk about authority and submission when I'm one of the ones that you have to submit to in this kind of a situation. I get why pastors rarely talk about this from the pulpit. I totally get it. But it's in the Bible. It's in the text. It's in Philemon. So I'm just preaching the Bible, right? I got to. Who else is going to do it? We need to get a guest speaker in here to talk about authority? That'd be ridiculous. Everybody say ridiculous. So we address things. When we go through books of the Bible, this is why we do it. When we go through books of the Bible verse by verse on Sunday mornings, we, it causes us, forces me to address things that I wouldn't naturally go and grab out of a list of topics. Like I'm not naturally like, you know what I want to talk about today? Authority and submission. It's going to be great. Lots of people are going to give their lives to Jesus and probably not come back to church after this. <laughs> it's going to be great. That's not, I don't grab that out of a list of topics, do I? No, I, I, it's just in the Bible. So when we go verse by verse, why we do that? We go verse by verse because it makes me, forces me or us to deal with things that we wouldn't naturally want to deal with. And it's part of what I'm supposed to cover as your pastor. So what's my hope for you in all of this? First of all, that you'd read Philemon as an example of a godly way to do confrontation and reconciliation. That you'd accept the fact that life is messy and people are messy and yet you need them and they need you. So confrontation, rebuke, restoration, reconciliation, confession, and forgiveness. These are good and you should expect them and even reach for them more often. My hope is that you'd realize we're all broken, imperfect, sinful people, including you. Including you. And you decide today that you're not going to be so hard on people. You're not, you're going to choose to forgive right now and you're going to expect some sin to happen here. That you're not going to bail when it does happen. That your roots, your commitment to God and his church would go deeper than that. My hope is that when you step out to fix the issues between you and someone you wronged or, or who wronged you or you, you, you have a disagreement with somebody, whether it's they're in the church or not, that you'll think about how motive, relationship, faith, spiritual authority, these things matter. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that is always right and always true, despite our desire to pick and choose. Every word of it is true. I thank you for that, God. You are so good to us that you would lay out the best way and woo us to that way. 
We trust you in that. Even difficult truths, even difficult things, we trust you. Lord, as we kind of finish up today talking about forgiveness and reconciliation through the book of Philemon, I pray, God, that you would help us to have the faith and the boldness to step out and move towards these things with people we have issues with, with people we have yet to forgive, with people that have hurt us, with people that we have hurt. I just pray against pride that would hold us back. Like, they don't deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve, that that, that pride would just go away supernaturally. Holy Spirit, we need your help with that. I pray that against pride and then I, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the words to say, that you'd give us the right motives, but once we got there, that you'd give us the words to say to these people that we would forgive, not because they deserve it, but because we have been forgiven in Christ. Pray, Lord, for action today. Pray against excuses. Like, oh, this isn't me, this isn't, I don't need to deal with it now, I'll I'll look at it next month, I'll look at it at Christmas time, I'll try to talk with them. They need to come to me first. I pray against that whole preschool, grade school mentality. You first, you first, you first. I pray that we would be strong enough, bold enough to be first in these efforts of reconciliation and restoration. Speak clearly to us, oh God, help us. This is difficult stuff, but we trust you to help us. As we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, as you're thinking through what what it is that the Lord is speaking to you specifically, Maybe something between you and and someone else is kind of holding you back. Jesus said in Matthew 5, we mentioned it last week, that when you come to the altar and you offer a gift on the altar, if you realize you have a a problem with your brother, somebody, there's a sin between you, you're mad at him, he's mad at you, whatever it is, Jesus says just drop your gift, leave it there, go fix that with your brother, then come back and offer your worship to God. And so maybe you're here, and, and if you're honest, this, this issue between you and this other person, or maybe many people, family members, friends, whatever it is, old or it just happened, but you've got these issues, and maybe that's holding you back. Maybe to this point, that's what's held you back from giving your life over to Christ completely. Maybe it, that's been the big obstacle that you've struggled to get over that you want to believe in forgiveness, you want to believe in peace and mercy and grace, but your heart burns with anger. There's this root of bitterness in you. So I just want to invite you to just have a seed of faith this morning that forgiveness can work, that forgiveness does work, that forgiveness can happen in Christ. For you, in between you and whoever you've got issues with. So I just want to give you a moment just to make that decision once and for all, just to say to God, God, I don't want to burn with anger and bitterness anymore. I want to burn with only one thing, passion for you. Let me burn for you, Jesus, not for my own issues, not for against these other people, Lord. Just once and for all, lay it down. You might have to deal with it again next week or This afternoon, you might have to lay it down again. That's okay. Just start the process today. Just say, I want to give my life over to Jesus. Jesus, help me with this. 
you want to do that, you don't need me to pray a specific prayer. You don't need somebody to get some holy water out or anything like that. You just need to give your life over to Christ and start to live for him. Take an action step. Tell somebody about it. Make a change and the Lord will change you. I believe that. I would love for you, if you want to give your life over to Christ today, I would love for you to grab that connect card Pastor Bill was talking about and hand it over right on there that you're interested in baptism or you're interested in giving your life over to Christ and take it to a prayer worker or hand it over to the welcome desk person so that we can talk with you about this. We would love to do that. Maybe you're in here though and you just, you believe in Jesus. It's not holding you back from giving your life to Jesus. You've done that. But you've got bitterness. You've got problems. You've got some things that you need to step out and you were here last week or you listened online and you didn't do anything. I talked about bitterness and taking a step at the end and making a call, writing a letter, doing something. You did nothing. You just kind of got busy and you just became numb to it. You distracted yourself. You made excuses. You couldn't get past the pride. I just want to give you another shot today. If you're a Christ follower, I don't think you have an option here. You have to forgive. If there's reconciliation, confrontation that needs to happen, you have to step out and do that. If you're not sure, if you're not sure if you need to call this person and you need to meet with this person or you can just kind of forgive them from a distance, one of our pastors would love to talk with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that. If you feel like it's a little less than the normal situation, that's fine. But more times than not, reconciliation, confrontation is what needs to happen. And so I just want to give you a moment just to think through that to pray about that, to make a decision about that, that you're going to take a step of faith. You're going to take an action step today even. And I just want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who have given their lives to Christ, who are trying to follow you, and yet they're struggling with forgiveness. They're struggling with being bold enough and brave enough to go and confess, go and ask for forgiveness from someone. They're just struggling to reconcile with someone. Maybe it's a, a brother or sister in Christ in this room. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't know you. I just pray, God, that you would help them, that you would let this be the day that they make the decision to, to follow through, to do this, to love as they have been loved, to forgive as they have been forgiven, to walk with others as you have walked with us. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that we would be a people of forgiveness here at Great Oaks. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.